Hello and welcome to SDP Talks, a series of conversations with academics, authors and public intellectuals. I'm William Clouston, leader of the SDP, the Social Democratic Party. My guest today is commentator and broadcaster and associate fellow at Civitas, Emma Webb. We discuss Emma's new film, Britain's Silent Cultural Revolution, which charts the fall of many of our institutions to progressive ideology. How did this happen under a nominally conservative government? Listen to find out. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to SDP Talks. My guest today is commentator, broadcaster and associate fellow at Civitas, Emma Webb. Now Emma, you've uh, written and presented an excellent new film called uh, Britain, Britain's Silent Cultural Revolution. So broadly, just to kick off, what is Britain's Silent Cultural Revolution? So uh, we used the the title um, Britain's Silent Cultural Revolution to try and capture what we're seeing and have been seeing for many years now in um, some of Britain's major cultural institutions, libraries, museums um, and this particular ideology that has taken hold. Um, and the reason why we called it a silent cultural revolution, though admittedly it hasn't been particularly silent, it's actually mm. been very loud, mm. Noisy, is yeah. because it's, it's something that has sort of seeped into these institutions and it's something that's been referred to by, by some as, as the long march through the institutions. But actually in the course of, uh, of doing the interviews for the documentary, we found that it was actually a lot more complex than that. It was something that had happened sort of more organically. These ideas have been taken on board, ideas that originated in American universities universities and mm. partly in French postmodernism mm. um, and that these ideas had then you know seeped into various aspects of mm. the people who are essentially the custodians of our cultural heritage mm. so the people who are supposed to look after our heritage but now see it as something that needs to be deconstructed picked apart judged um, or even edited and done away with. It seems to have happened quite quickly doesn't it and that's the curious thing although that as you're right to say that the seeds of all this stuff go right back to you know, postmodernist thinking and 50s, 60s, or beyond. Actually, it's not nothing, nothing new in that sense. But it's it's curious, isn't it? And it seems to have just happened. I think uh, what's happened is a lot of very young activists are in these institutions. And the curious thing is that the the leaders of the institutions don't really always believe in the things that they're uh, pressed into doing. Uh, the pressure's applied and then they just give way to it. Do you think that's a, a fair way of looking at it? Yeah, I think people are frightened. There's no sort of resistance there, partly because the costs are so high if you, you do question what has become this orthodoxy. And I think it's a bit like the, um, you know, the classic frog in a pan that's yeah. getting hotter and hotter. Um, that the groundwork was laid when, as these ideas took hold and I don't think people necessarily understood the implications of those ideas or the general direction of travel and so I think that there is a certain um, it's not it's not just you know actual cowardice but there's a certain intellectual cowardice in some of these institutions where it's a bit like you know the emperor's uh, <laughs> new clothes you know no one wants to say you know, the, the, these ideas are balmy or yes, they don't toxic. make sense, yeah, yeah. Um, because I think nobody wants to be seen as being ignorant or unsophisticated and so a lot of these ideas, if you think about sort of the um, French postmodernist people like Foucault or Sartre, that they, their ideas are so convoluted and um, impossible to understand the jargon that they, um, that they use to express these ideas that I think people feel intimidated by that and that that may be one way that you know people have been sort of 
just soft to the influence of these of these ideas mm -hmm. um, and there are some people who are sort of like real true believers in them and there are other people who just want to get on with you know doing their work or they just want it they, they just enjoy you yeah. know working in museums and so on and they want to keep their heads down they don't want to get fired yeah that's the, so much pressure on that and I think the the uh, it's it, it's just easier in every every single uh, outburst, every single issue that comes to the press, and there's an issue about this and an issue about that, it's just easy for these uh, bodies and committees and, and custodians just to give way each time. And there's no cost of doing that. Mm -hmm. And as you say, the cost of standing up to some of this stuff, even though it is crazy, a lot of it, um, they're just terrified of being cancelled. But I, the, I just want to get at the fact that I don't think the people that are at the heads of you know, the National Trust and these other institutions of the church would necessarily actually believe in this stuff, this sort of extreme... Uh, progressive modernism, whatever you want to call it, lots of terms for it. Um, they don't always believe it, but they they feel pressured into doing it. And mm -hmm. and I think it's what worries me is that, <clears throat> and I know Eric Kaufman's said in in the past that it's a concern because actually, what will happen when the real militants, who are the younger ones, because because quite often the, the the younger people are doing the social media account and these issues come up, and then what do we say? And they they so they'll decide, and the and the older ones will go along with it. What happens in, in five years, 10 years time, 15 years time when these institutions are actually people at the helm mm -hmm. have these views? Do you think that's a concern? Yeah, I think the worry is that it's, it's such a monoculture that mm. it's impossible to have I mean, there is no di real diversity of thought, and if it is, it's, it's hidden somewhere. Mm. And because there's such an intellectual monoculture, any sort of free thinker or dissenting thinker mm. finds themselves immediately in hot water yeah. yeah and so um you know there might be people in the younger generation who don't agree with these ideas and would like to challenge them or you know even um sort of on an academic level it, it's very i mean it, can you think of any serious critiques of some of these ideas i no, mean, I think, I it, mean from from within academia um i think it's it, you know the older generation perhaps i think some of them are you know as committed to these ideas as the, as the younger generation. Um, you see, I think I sense that I, that may be the case in some institutions, but I think they're less ze zealous about it. I think they, I think there's a lot of giving way. I mean, if you look at institutions like, I don't know, some institutions like the FA, for instance, on, now I can't, I can't honestly believe that the FAs, which is a, you know, a series of people with uh, blazers on up and down the country running f football, I can't believe they, they buy in wholesale to, to BLM sort of Marxism or anti-family stuff, they, but they just are terrified of not giving into it. Well, I think hmm, it's interesting because with, with the FA and probably actually this might be the case across the board, I think there's confusion about what is going on mm -hmm. and I think that I mean that was one of the key motivations for for doing this documentary for the new culture forum which is that we wanted to explore exactly what is going on and mm -hmm. speak to some mm -hmm. of sort of the, mm -hmm. the 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 greatest thinkers on this subject um, to try and understand the nuances of exactly what this phenomenon is and what it means because I think part of uh, the the challenge is that people don't really understand where these ideas come from, what they actually mean. And so in instances like uh, the FA or um, in the church as well, I think the church is a good example of this, they misconstrue it with, you know, old civil rights thinking yes. or just plain anti-racism. And yeah. so there's a kind of rhetorical trap door yes. Yes. in all of this yes. where 
you know, it can it can be a bit like <laughs> it can be like Saint Paul. It can be all things to all people, yeah. but ultimately, it does have a particular origin. It does, yeah. you know, have an actual um, canon of thought that ha- has roots, you know, in uh, French academia and in American mm-hmm. universities, and is being added to every single day in our mm-hmm. universities. And I think yeah. that people are not aware of exactly you know, what those ideas are and where they come from. And because of that, people are sort of more susceptible because, you know, they don't, they're not racist and they, and they don't, you know, want to be seen as racist. And these are, just happen to be the mainstream sort of orthodoxy around anti-racist thinking. Yeah, yeah. No, I see that. Then there is, a, the, 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 some of the arguments are quite subtle. I mean, in, 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 in the case of Foucault, actually, it's, he's, I, I think as a philosopher, it's worth reading him anyway, because actually you can turn his basic theory that everything's about power and everything's reducible to power is actually a very good lens to look through and to understand what's going on. Because, of course, in an institution, if everything's about power, then you find out where the power exists when, when you look at who has to give way to it. Who at the constantly? So actually, he's quite quite good. But just to get back to what you said about importing ideas and the origin of some of the, these ideas, I think this uh, again last summer's uh, sort of moral uh, event, uh, you know, after George Floyd was killed, is a really good example of this. Where you've got a whole um, whole canon of thinking, and you've got a, a civil rights movement from the, you know, from day dot in the United States, and a particular set of circumstances, and then event an event happens, and in the Anglosphere particularly. I think we're particularly vulnerable to it in a way that the, say, Southern European culture isn't. You know, you don't you don't see so much wokery, terrible word, but you don't see so much of it in Portugal and Italy, mm-hmm. slightly less in France as well. But the Anglosphere has been very, very vulnerable to this wave of, uh, you know, just importing American hyper-racialism and dropping it, mm-hmm. in, uh, almost in a period of a few months, dropping it into the UK. And what's been disappointing, are you, are you disappointed at how little resistance our culture has, has been able to put up against that. It's just, you know, fallen. It's hard to be disappointed if you expect it because the groundwork has been laid so much in terms of, you know, the dominance of a particular American way of thinking. If you just, mm. all you have to do is, you know, pick any show at random from Netflix, which is mm. where most young people consume yeah. their media from. Yeah. Um, and it's deeply embedded because it's a world. It is, it is a world view. It's a mm. new world view. And I think we're at the sort of the cusp of an entirely new way of thinking about the world. And that's why I actually think that the term woke is um, insufficient to describe what we're seeing because it doesn't do justice mm. to you know what these ideas actually are. It and the almost down. Of their origins yeah, it down it downplays their seriousness. Yeah. Um, because they, they, it is an intellectual school of thought. It is a, it is a worldview. It's not sort of just you know glib political correctness. It's a sort of interesting phenomenon that should be taken really seriously and actually assessed academically, rather than I think what, what is um, a tendency to just assume that it's it's neutrality mm. because and particularly because it has become the dominant worldview. So quickly. Um, as well. And yeah. even in pe- even with people who are. Uh, critical of it, you'll see they'll take on board certain aspects of it or, you know, certain parts of the language that come from it have become mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same as, you know, you know, any the way that any worldview throughout history mm-hmm. has spread and become mainstream. Dominance. Yeah, and it doesn't have to, and critically actually, it doesn't have to be some of the core ideas and it don't have to be true. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, some of them don't even have to be very, in an instrumental sense, they don't have to be very useful either. But it still washes over. It's like a wave that you can't resist. What, what, what interests me partly is the intersection between, I shouldn't have said intersection, should I? Uh, you just did the, it. It's one of the elements, yeah. uh, but but the, the, the relation between politics and this cultural stuff, mm. because um, what you've got is, is I mean, it's an obvious, it, I'm, I'm not ha having a cheap dig at the uh, Tories in, the, in this, but you, you've got, this is, all of this stuff in the institutions has happened under, uh, you know, by and large, you know, you had the coalition, but you had, you know, basically 12, you know, 11, 12 years of Tory government. Mm -hmm. And it's happened in front of them. And they've been largely either indifferent or unaware of what was happening, or, or, or if not those things, just unable to stop it. What, what, what's going on there? I mean, is, is politics just completely impotent to this? I think part of it is the confusion again. I think people didn't know what they were seeing. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just something that sort of gradually seeped into people's way of thinking. It seeped yeah. into policies, yeah. um, into the way that our institutions view their own purpose. And mm -hmm. people have been talking for, you know, decades about our cultural self-loathing, the yeah. fact that the West is running out of steam, that we've lost self-confidence. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think about the discussions that were taking place in the early 2000s about multiculturalism uh, or about political correctness, mm -hmm. all of these things, you know, preceding mm -hmm. the 2010s when these ideas started to become much more popular. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that has just sort of happened. Mm -hmm. It's something that, you know, has a long tail to it yeah. and it's been gradual and um, it's like the road to hell is paved with good intentions, you know, no, I don't think that it is as straightforward mm -hmm. as just a con as some, you know, people have said about the long march of the institutions that it's just this concerted effort. I think the whole phenomenon is much more complicated than that because it's almost like sort of, I think George Orwell described, <clears throat> used this analogy when he was talking about um, the way that language ends up becoming woolly and misused, mm -hmm. but it's a bit like, you know, soft snow just falling onto everything but orwell also mentioned that and you know <coughs> famously mentioned that the you know the english culture it's only in the english culture that the intellectuals really really despise their own culture i mean the, the level of self-hatred is there and actually is i think i when I, when you meet people that think it's just bang it's just arrived i think you you make a brilliant point you need to think about where it comes from and it, it, actually i think in english society Really, it's the Norman Conquest. I'm not joking because now I'm not joking. I'll make a case. In a, uh, the, the, you, you had this division between the governed and the, and, and the governed and those that govern us, and that sort of division is still there. I mean, it's, apart from anything, it's still there in the families, you know, and, and, the, and the, the you know it's the little hints and, and um, resonances which you can see from it. Uh, you know, in, in my own county in Northumberland, you see it. You know, it's actually who, who owns most of the land. Well, think about 1066. But it also is a cultural difference because the the attention, the preoccupations of, of a certain class in this country is is totally detached from the. So it's what you have is the Norman, the Saxon. You know, I think that's that's. I, I and in 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 the moral panic of last year, I think one of the best observations that I heard. I don't think he published it actually, but Aris Rusinos, who writes for Unheard, brilliantly, uh, he described this, the, the the wave, the sort of BLM wave, and the cultural. Uh, event as, as 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 North Sea Protestantism. Yeah, I and think. I think th what do you think of that? Do you think that's I, I think that's a really, it's a really interesting point, and I was actually Purism. just about to say that I think that you know you could even find roots of it in the Reformation. Yes. Um, and you could find 
and to some degree, and this was something that we um, discussed in the process of, of, of making the documentary, um, is that there's an element of the perversion of Christianity about it, not just within the church specifically, but things like, you know, uh, guilt and original sin without redemption. Yes. Um, and the sort of um, self-flagellation. Performative um, stuff. It is, yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's it's almost Pharisaic in the biblical sense. It's it's praying on the street corner. <laughs> and you, and you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, I, I think a, a medieval Reformation observer uh, looking at some of the events, I mean, a set piece of some of them, in the States, uh, you know, would, would recognize it mm -hmm. for what it is, which is a religious um, event in a sense and belief and people, human beings will always reconstruct. I mean, I think obviously one of the, one of the, I, I don't have an answer to this because I'm a, I'm a sort of a non-believing cultural Christian, uh, but the, and I, I'm a church guy, but I, I, I don't think I can believe, but the, but I don't know, I don't think we've found an answer to, um, to what we do with, with the comprehensive loss of our religious belief system in the West. I, mean, I don't know what we do about that. And I think that's obviously left a vacuum. And do you mm -hmm. think that some of the things that are happening now are just filling the vacuum? Absolutely, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, not just here, but all around the world, not even just in Europe, that modernity left a kind of vacuum that has been filled with what, and I think this particular worldview is one of them, mm. um, political religious ideas. Yes. Um, it's yes. a strange fusion yeah. of um, worldviews that preceded the modern period. Mm. Um, and I think that is actually the first step in mm. taking it seriously is that you, you, we, need mm. to, we need to actually take the history of these ideas seriously and look at them in a detached way rather than from the inside and I think that is really important because when we just yeah. refer to things glibly as being woke yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, there's, a, there's an idea that, that you know these are like just frenzied activists who are who are, who are malign or malevolent they're trying to tear down um, our culture but I think it, it's it's I think so are. much more complicated no it is a, so good you say that because I think they are and I think it's important that you also I mean I think that many of the activists uh, are mistaken uh, for lots of reasons I'll probably go into, but the, the I, I think, um, I think an approach which which tries to knock down their the sincerity of their intentions is wrong, because I think a lot of people, a lot younger people particularly, are really really very very committed to this stuff, mm -hmm. and uh, and I think the problem is that the no one it may be a failure of the the uh, education system because as you say there's very little viewpoint diversity now you know in the social sciences virtually none. Um, so no one's ever put the, the sort of cultural conservative approach to society and institutions to many of these people. So what you get is you get you know the this this process of deconstruction. You know, and we've seen as you say we've seen it for a long time. You deconstruct the nation state, you deconstruct family life. You, you, you know, religion has to be got away with. And now you know the the latest thing quite recently is is to deconstruct the idea of male and female. So you, you're you've got a project of deconstruction. That people feel passionately about but the problem is they don't have anything there's not a clear idea what we replace it with yeah i think it's intimately connected to what pascal bruckner called the tyranny of guilt mm. um, and like i said people have been talking about that for a long time mm. and i think like you say it is um it's a cultural thing mm. so even you know people in my generation and younger mm. have been marinating in a different culture mm. to the one that our grandparents yeah. were sort of weaned yes. on yes. Um, and it is a case of 
really, and this is why you need to deeply understand the ideas, which is mm. something that you know James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose mm. have made great efforts Brilliant to book. do. Yeah, great you need to understand the roots of the ideas so that you can see where it conflicts with other worldviews that also have roots here. Mm. Um, and the best way to resist against ideas that you think are bad isn't necessarily always to just criticise, criticise, criticise. That's what they do. Yes. It's to present the alternative and to say, well, actually, no, I think this is a better way of looking well, at it. This is a healthier worldview. Exactly. And in particular, don't, don't go for the person. Don't go for the ideas. Mm -hmm. a, it, this is a question of ideas, you know, fundamentally. No, I, I, I get that. I think that's right. I think uh, it's, you know, try, try and... Unless the ideas can be tackled and dealt with. I mean, my criticism, we, we, we are a party of the centre-left, and economically, that's our, our heritage, and we, we still have it. It's very important to us. So we're not... It's funny how that the lens that you're, the identity lens that people tend to look through now and encouraged to do so, it often leaves out the question of social class. So mm -hmm. you're not allowed to really think about that and think it's important. We think it's highly salient because uh, all of this cultural revolution that you're talking about uh, quite often is dreamt up by reasonably privileged people who, who are not likely to come into contact, direct contact with the consequences of some of these ideas. And they're knocking down institutions and cultural guardrails. Mm -hmm. uh, without any thought that some people might need the guardrails. Yeah, I th it's interesting, isn't it, that there's a sort of that there is a, there is a, a very large degree of cultural ignorance in it because, mm. and, and this is a um, point that Rod Dreyer made in his brilliant um, recent book, Live Not by Lies. Mm. Um, and we, we stole <laughs> that, that quote um, for the documentary. Um, he, he interviewed people from former Soviet countries yeah. about um, you know, their interpretation of the signs that we're seeing in society at the moment. Mm. And I think people don't see it, they don't recognize it. And that was why we wanted to sort of um, present some of that historical background yeah. to see the uh, yeah. the analogies there because you know throughout history yeah. revolutionaries whether it is you know under Mao the, the French Revolution uh, Islamic State Al Qaeda when they uh, or the Taliban when they destroyed um, the the famous Buddhist Buddha, statues yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. you know that revolutionaries always attack heritage yes. they always yeah. attack culture they go for statues they go for people's cultural identity because they want a tabula rasa, they want a clean year slate. Zero. Exactly, they want year zero or what Orwell calls the endless present mm. um, because then they can build their new society from scratch. And you see this in, in this new way of thinking, which is that everything about society is bad mm. um, and all of it has to be scrubbed clean because the problem is systemic. And if the problem is systemic, then the only way to start is to stop is to, to or to, to mend societies to start from scratch and so you need to do things like tearing down statues changing our institutions and undermining culture and, and really the only way that you can do that ultimately is as um you know people who've come before us have done is through burning books or as, yeah. as they did during the actual cultural revolution in china through destroying bourgeois musical instruments and yeah. even pets yeah no, <laughs> and nothing is nothing is beyond the lens the, uh, the the scope of this i mean that's the curious thing but if you the thing is it does fall apart i mean morally if you if you analyze some of the actions just the actions uh, it really does fall apart. And it, look at a recent-ish uh, event, you know, when they renamed Gladstone Hall at Liverpool University. And we've got uh, members that are academics there 
and sort of warned us what you know what was likely to happen. Of course, the shortlist of the person of the people that were going to replace him was was fixed, and we still can't find the vote. We're going to have to do Freedom of Information or something on local university to find out how they did this. But what what did, what happened? They they got rid of a uh, you know a nineteenth century free trade liberal, uh, and they replaced they named the halls after a communist. So presumably, you know, free, I mean, it, okay, I mean, Gladstone's family obviously had an association which they were unhappy about, but they, inst they, inst they replaced it with a communist who, you know, so the gulags don't matter. Mm -hmm. That's the crazy, and actually any morally competent person must see that as a, in its own terms, a, just a retrograde mm -hmm. step. It's also guilt by association, isn't it? So yeah. it's not necessarily what the individual did. Mm. Um, Gladstone wasn't a slaver. No, no. <laughs> um, it's by various degrees of association. Yeah. And there was a primary school who wanted to change its name because it was it was called Rhodes Primary School. Wrong Rhodes. Uh, but it wasn't after Cecil Rhodes. Yes, but they no, still no. wanted to change it because they were worried about the association. So yeah. you know, it's the same with Wordsworth because his brother was on an East India yes. Company ship. Yeah. Um, the degrees of, or even you know, like the the, the example of Rudyard Kipling yeah. um, using themes of empire in his literary work and that yeah. is a reason um, to put his house on, a, on the naughty step from yes. the National yeah. Trust. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the degrees of separation get increasingly, and you see this with other revolutions as well. Yeah. Um, you know, the French Revolution, eventually it came for Robespierre. Yes. Um, it, it always eats itself. A sea of blood, um, and, you know, and you don't get that. And it starts, it starts with this sort of guilt by association, because with this worldview, you really, there is nothing that is beyond no. the remit of what it can swallow up no. because it can it ha once you once you're wearing those sort of revolutionary goggles you see the problems in absolutely everything yeah and you, you and actually terms are invented to, to to draw things in that are loosely associated because they say it's adjacent but mm -hmm. that's the language that well, we used. saw this literally yes. yesterday with yeah. this monkey in Hartlepool yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> the, the the monkey that apparently could be offensive and make people think that Hartlepool is um xenophobic yeah. when it's, it's just it's, it's a, a long, it's yeah, a brilliant it's a lot. brilliant it's a, tale of a monkey yeah, that and um, actually the Harlepudlians are quite proud of that that and they, and I, the account of that on the headland that actually happening did they think it was a French sailor did they not it's it's fairly it's a lost in the mist of times but actually mm -hmm. yeah as a, as a cultural thing it's quite a big thing in Hartlepool no it's a strange thing it's a strange world we live in I think one of the things that's interesting to me is the as you say the role expansion uh, an institution that should have a prime role, you know, say the National Trust or, or the church or the FA should be primarily concerned with training, you know, in the FA's case, primarily concerned with organising football, organising rules around football. Uh, kick it out was a reasonable uh, campaign, you know, was very successful. But there seems to be, you're not content with that. You have to get into mm -hmm. sort of mainstream, broader politics. So the institutions really can't stick to their knitting. Mm -hmm. well, that's sort of Hannah Arendt's Point about totalitarianism, isn't it? That an early sign of that is that every area of society gets politicised. It's not good for every aspect of society to 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 be seen as political. And you, I've seen this, you know, time and time again on social media, particularly on Twitter, people saying, "But surely every area of life is political." Well, well that is that is yeah. not a given. That that is a, sort of an assumption that now seems to be quite widespread. Is that it's yeah. not possible for things to not be political? Yeah. But that comes from the worldview that politicizes everything, that it sees does. everything as part of the system yeah. that is and, that is problematic. And and, and uh, if if you've only got that hammer, then everything looks like a nail and so there isn't anything exactly. to it. that's 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 the problem I, d I don't know where I'm not I wish I had a little bit more faith in in in, in the direction we're going one point that's worth making 
uh, is to go back, we're going back to Foucault actually is that the, uh, if it's all about power you can't deny that these people have power because they clearly do cultural massive cultural power but they don't have hegemony mm-hmm. they don't in the sense that they they control institutions they control what those institutions do and the decisions that are made but actually they don't have hegemony they don't really control what people think because actually there's a dis there's a dif- difference between what these institutions are doing and saying and what we would call popular hinterland opinion. Would you think that's a fair? Yeah, I think that's probably where the disdain comes from. It's very yeah. similar to what happened after Brexit. Yeah. Um, they, are, I th- would say, the sort of intelligentsia, or the you would call them the, the cultural elite, mm. um, despise people who don't agree with them oh, yeah. and will go to great lengths to demonize them. Um, rather than actually engaging with their ideas because they don't they I think they ascribe a sort of moral value to opinion and so because they truly believe Mm. that um, they are right and there is no other way of thinking Mm. the majority of people who don't agree with them who are saying hey wait a minute you're supposed to be yeah exactly they need to educate themselves they need to read because if only they it's it's quite religious if only they were enlightened by the truth if only they would sort of hear the gospel um of this of this new these new ideas then they would see the error of their ways they they don't see that it could just be that other people have a different approach or other people have a different opinion to them um but because they are so absolutely committed to these ideas they believe that anybody who stands in the way of their progress mm-hmm. needs to be silenced or demonized or eliminated exactly that's well, the worry and that's actually why as you say the the lens into totalitarian states like maoist china or anyone that lived through the iron curtain of the cold war era in in the uh, soviet union has a different take and they can they, their antenna are much better actually sniffing it out so i've seen that before Mm-hmm. I know what that means to go to work and not being able to mm-hmm. to um, to speak your your truth to colleagues. I know I can see that when particularly I mean it's obvious. I mean it's not surely the people that are saying really it's a matter of education. You know really you can't have that. Mm-hmm. You've got to be educated out. Surely you can. They can see the um, totalitarian history. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just don't know. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you know the army is approaching behind and they're facing in the wrong direction because I think that um, there's a sort of an expectation of what the great movements in history look like whether it's communism or fascism and there is a that because of our education system being a bit naff there is a sort of particular understanding that people have of what those things look like when they approach and they wrongly think I couldn't possibly be a part of that if I was in that situation that wouldn't have happened they don't really understand you know what it must have been like to to be in the early days of communism Mm. or the Russian Mm. revolution or to be in the early days of the French revolution Mm. or fascism in Nazi Germany they don't really have a proper perspective about that Um, and going back to Rod Dreher's brilliant book again um, this is a point that he makes is that if you talk to people who lived in these sorts of societies and saw the signs and recognize it then you realize that you know it's not always going to come in the same form but you need to be able to tell the the signs of things turning Mm. in the wrong Mm. direction Mm. and this is 
what has been pointed out by people who did live in those countries, which is that that we are seeing certain things now mm. Mm. that are worrying because mm. they resonate mm. with things that have happened before. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to mm. not be complacent or arrogant in thinking, or well, this is not going to happen here, mm. or, you know, this isn't isn't serious we don't mm. need to engage with this or mm. you know this isn't doesn't uh, matter know, exactly they and think i think it doesn't matter yeah. i think people need to be um more self-reflective mm. in you know thinking about you know w what these ideas mean when taken to their ultimate conclusion they just need to have a little moment to to, to self-reflect mm. and try to see themselves in historical context and i think this is a a problem that you know you see throughout all mm. parts of society at the moment is that there is an arrogance and a hubris mm. so I can't remember who it was who described it as being Promethean mm. um, where people are so assured that they're right mm. that everybody else must be wrong and they can you know mm. cancel people that they don't agree mm. with mm. Um, that they that they are confident that they know how to make the world oh, right no, and no. that's that's always a dangerous thing to believe that you alone or your group alone know how to make the world into a kind of utopia no I well, I, I, I wrote because I was reading I was rereading Burke's uh, reflections recently and I, I wrote down a little snippet for it for this interview because I want to just read it out because I think it just it, not, only, not only is he right in his critique of the revolution but it's so apt and it's beautifully written so he Burke said he's talking about the, the, the progressives and revolutionaries he said wholly unacquainted with the world in which they are fond of meddling and inexperienced in all its affairs on which they pronounce with so much confidence they have nothing of politics but the passions they excite so it's more heat than light mm -hmm. and it's very damaging and I just think that's a brilliant quote do you, do you like that it also touches on the classic sort of and I'm very fond of this the, the Burkean um, understanding of sort of the ecosystem yeah. of how society functions with its institutions and so on which really goes to the heart of um, the purpose of the, of the film that we made um, that again it's the historical ignorance there's lots of aspects to the historical ignorance of a lot of the sort of activism that we're seeing not because I, I don't know whether it's willful or not I think to some degree as a sort of, sort of utopian thinking it is ahistorical because they tend to be by definition ahistorical um, but there is a lack of willingness or a lack of under or lack of willingness to engage with or a lack of understanding of um, the history of those institutions, why they're there, mm. um, and a lack of generosity when it comes to um, their function and the sorts of, you know, our institutions in this country have given us a very distinctive mm. British mm. form of liberty mm. that is extremely desirable to people all around the world. Mm. And that's because those institutions carved out a society that made that possible. Particular, they were particular. Um, yeah. And it's and this is this is I think you know a very Burkean point, which is that they don't know what they're smashing up. Exactly. And that. revolutionaries never know what they're smashing up. The French Revolution went as all revolutions do turned it into a complete bloodbath and a disaster because they are excited by these passions mm. to smash things apart that they don't understand and then they wonder where freedom has gone but yeah. it's because you smashed up the things that gave us that freedom in the exactly. first place and I think it's a misunderstanding to think that liberty can exist separately 
from the institutions that a society has accumulated over its well, the history. Well, society is the institution. That's and there is the a certain there's a certain wisdom baked into those institutions. There's a, a wisdom baked into the social organisation of this country and of other countries as well. Um, and so revolutionaries always throw the baby out with the bathwater. They want to raise everything to the ground, and then they wonder why you know the revolutionaries themselves are getting the axe. They will eventually. They have to turn <laughs> because because in the, if they put the bar of um, of, uh, of, of correctness mm -hmm. so high. We're all human, everyone. And that's the, that's the problem, actually. There's no nuance in any of this. So if a, if, a, if a sportsman, you know, tweeted something wrong, clearly wrong, when he was 18, he must be condemned and he must be. And, the, and there's very few people do. I mean, the Conservatives are being a little bit better on this recently, but I agree. I mean, it, but they're not, they're, these movements are often very destructive. My criticism is actually both, that they're destructive and they don't really know what they're replacing them with. So we, we have to resist it. And I think, I think institutions are important, which actually in our own little way in the Social Democratic Party, trying to rebuild something is a critique of our existing political parties, which I don't think are very good. And so, actually, if you want to create something, we think that you, you've got to build an institution and you know, work together to do it. So, listen, thank you very much for this uh, interview. The film is Britain's Silent Culture Revolution, and it's, you can see it on YouTube, and I would urge everyone to have a look at it. Brilliant film. And thank you very much, Emma Webb. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of SDP Talks, a series of conversations with politicians, academics, authors, and public intellectuals. If you'd like to be updated when new episodes of STP Talks go live, make sure to subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you're interested in learning more about the Social Democratic Party, do make sure to head over to our website at stp.org.uk. Thanks for listening.